Hello, my field daisies. Today is a very special episode because I'm joined by Elisa So. Say hi, Elisa. Hello. As you all know, we do a life lesson at the beginning of the podcast. So, Elisa, what is your life lesson? So this life lesson is something that I actually learned from my uh, Founder Gym community, but it is everyone has 24 hours in a day, whether you are a CEO or a student, and it's up to you to decide what to do with that time. That is so beautiful. It's so eloquent and so simple, but I think it's something that people don't remember a lot. So thank you for that life lesson. All right, let's roll the intro music. I think I need to do a series on my podcast where I bring everyone from Open Lab back and so you can each talk about our experience because it literally changed my life. So Open Lab is actually the coolest thing I think I ever did at UC Berkeley. And I'm wondering, was it the coolest thing you ever did? I think so. I think it was it was definitely a different experience from what – and I don't know if you had the same experience that I did, but in the theater department, it was always interesting because I also didn't feel necessarily like I belonged in the theater department at Cal. And part of the reason was because like maybe I didn't audition – I really didn't audition very well. But a lot of the shows that I was cast in, I was always cast in these character roles or these like movement roles as opposed to like character. Like so a lot of the character journey that I had to do was journey that I explored on my own. Right, I, got, I was given zero lines. And I think that really fed into my at least being a theater major felt like fed into my my feeling of like not really belonging. And then like Bear Stage had its own like group. And I, you know, I would audition for Bear Stage and I wouldn't get in. And I would also feel like a mixture, right? Like, obviously, like, there is some work that I need to do on my own acting, but also like, oh, they have their own club and they have their own, their own sense of like, what, you know, their own community. And so it was definitely difficult for me to feel like I belong. But then with Open Lab, you know, Juan was just really welcoming and opening to everybody. And really, each of our sessions, each of our rehearsals, because it was so collaborative, and because it was so open-ended with structure, right? We, we definitely had like writing prompts and we had topics of discussion, but because we were the ones creating the content, it made me feel more comfortable and I feel like, you know, what I had to say was valid and my opinion was valid. And it, it, it gave me the freedom to write my own script for, my, for myself. Absolutely. Um, and so I think people are probably so confused. Like what is Open Lab? Um, open Lab Identity and Belonging was the full title of the play. But it's an interesting concept because, okay, so it's called Open Lab Identity and Belonging. And it was a play that was co-written by all the actors. And while, and it's honestly, it's also on YouTube, everybody. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. Um, But it was a co-written play about sexual assault, LGBTQ, mental health, police brutality, and immigration. And it was all of our stories accumulated into this beautiful, wonderful masterpiece that was just, it was full of vignettes of tiny stories. Like it was like a creative actor's dream to do something like this. And this was the only play I ever did for the theater department because it's funny that you say Bear Stage because I think I was actually more connected with Bear Stage rather than the actual theater department. Um, I did 12 Angry Men and Macbeth with Bear Stage. 
And let's go ahead and talk about this now because I, I did bring this up before the podcast, but um, the way you met me was through my role as Macbeth, right? You came and saw me as Macbeth. And I remember when we were in Open Lab, it, Open Lab really did feel like therapy because a lot of it was not even like rehearsing someone else's lines. It was starting to get to know yourself. And then like we did the whole Bork- Berkeley wait work hard, play hard and like wrote that thing in like two weeks and like performed it. But like a lot of the rehearsal is just getting to know yourself. And I distinctly remember one time you being like, I saw you at Macbeth and like, it's not even necessarily jealousy, but I think there's it's this weird thing of like, oh, I, you thought I was such a good actor. And like, I thought you were such a good actor um, because I was just so impressed that you even got in to any of the main stage theater, theater department run shows. I just thought, that was so amazing. And it's funny that we both kind of had that feeling of like, you're better than me or, or I'm better than, you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. Even though I did see a lot of my like fellow Asian students in my classes, a lot of times, like I didn't really see that reflected on like TDPS's stages necessarily. I think Bear Stage, what, like I'm going to give it to Bear Stage, right? I think it, it's been really incredible. Like the, you get people from different departments, like people who aren't even in theater in any shape or or form. And I think part of me was just like, you know, I, I kind of, I'd, in some ways, I'd rather be in a bear stage production where I actually have lines and I actually have a character tra- trajectory that I can actually follow because of the text and because of the stage directions, as opposed to, oh, I am hobo number one, or I am dancer number three, right? Like, I think, I think a lot of that... <laughs> I think a lot of that was, and so like when I saw you, I was just like, you know, I I always am so, I feel like I'm so refreshed and I feel so excited and so amazed when I see fellow Asian actors, Asian American actors in particular, that aren't like cast in these like weird character roles. I think last year, or it was twenty in 2018 when Crazy Rich Asians came out, but I actually took a break from acting a little bit. One, to focus on my career, but two, like it was it was really great being able to see a lot of theater outside of the theater department, right? So I was seeing theater at SF Playhouse and there there are shows that were written by Asian Americans, not just like Asian Asian people, but Asian Asian Americans. And so one of the shows I saw was like King of the Yees by Lauren Yee. And it was such an an incredible, amazing show, seeing like a whole cast of all Asian people that had depth, that had like their own you know, it wasn't one one dimensional, right? And there were a bunch of like jokes and a bunch of there was, and it was so inspiring to see that. And that's why I think that's why it was like, even just me- meeting you and seeing other people who are who who look like you being represented. It, it was it was very very welcoming to see and very very refreshing to see. And I really really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who didn't go to Cal. Um, so Bear Stage is a, actually a student-run organization that holds its own plays. And of course, our stage is not as nice as the big fancy theater department stages. But I will say, now that you mentioned that, I mean, I did have my own roles. I did have lines like um, Nick, you know, Nick, of course, he was in open lab with us. He directed 12 Angry Men. And I think that's how I really got the role. And I'm not trying to down my, I need to stop downing myself because I am a great actor. Um, but because, you know, I think a lot of uh, women, especially Asian men, women have imposter syndrome. 
Do you know what I mean? Where you think everything that you do and all your success is due to luck rather than your hard work. Is that hashtag relatable for you? (laughs) Yes. No, definitely. Even as a software engineer, like being in underrepresented fields, it's always like, oh yeah, you're the token person that you, you just got so lucky because you don't look like everybody else. So you're token Asian. It's crazy. And um, yeah, so 12 Angry Men, it was so beautiful because Nick really tried to make it not 12 Angry Men. He made it 12 Angry People, you know, um, Farrell. I don't know if you know Farrell uh, and Sage is in there and like Eli, you know, Eli, of course, is in there. And I'm trying to, God, this was so long ago. There's definitely someone else from Open Lab that I, who was also there. I, anyway, but um, yeah, like, I played um, the old lady um, or the old man. Do you know? You know, you're a theater major. Of course, you know 12 Angry Men. You're a theater major. Um, Yeah, I played the old man. And God, it's just so refreshing to not have to play someone that's just about my race, if that makes sense. And I'm, I'm sure it kind of makes sense to you, right? Yes. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. For, for me, I'm going to speak from my experience again. I, I think I get a lot really caught up in my own head and my own insecurities that it's always like you, you only see like a very shallow perception of how other people are actually experiencing it, right? Like you have your interpretation of how it went and then you have other people's perspectives and other people's like what was going on, not just like in the moment, but also what was going on in, in your life at the time and how that had an impact on how you brought yourself to rehearsal every single day. And I think that's, it's really important. Like it's, I'm glad that we're doing this like debrief of like how it was for both of us. Yeah. Because I don't know if you remember that Juan made us write that letter to ourselves five years ago. Do you remember that? Yeah. Of course you remember that. Um, And I remember pulling out that letter even two or even three years ago. And I was like, Oh, I have so much love and compassion for baby Daisy. She, she, that, that poor thing was so not confident in herself and that's okay. That's okay. But that sweet girl. Um, and it's just interesting growing up and being older. And I feel like the audition process was almost not necessarily a joke, but it was more of just like, it was so nice that just everyone got in. And we were, I think, I don't know about you, but I was so nervous if I was even going to get in. How did you feel? I think I do remember that audition process because I think we had an interview with Juan and he was just talking, talking to us kind of like, oh, like, tell me about yourself, right? Tell me about like, what's your story? And I thought that was so different. Yeah, I I think I had a very similar experience experience to you where I was like, I wasn't really sure. I was kind of nervous. Um, It was unlike any audition that I had been to before. Yeah, same. Like um, one thing I want to ask you about because I will never forget your luggage story. And you can describe it if you want, but I just want to hear about your perspective of Open Lab. And because I think I was going through my own shit. So I'm wondering what shit you were going through when you were doing Open Lab. So it was weird. My college experience, it was definitely... I felt like it was all in, all all consumed by my relationship at the time, and even even going into this, I think part of the reason why I I did this was because, you know, I wanted I wanted to almost prove to myself, like prove to my you know my my boyfriend at the time that I had a I also had a life like outside of this relationship, right? And so going in, I think 
it, it was weird, right? Because like actually doing open lab and like hearing everybody's stories and it being such like a vulnerable place, I almost felt like my own stories weren't valid, which was really ridiculous and counterintuitive, right? Like, oh, and I think a lot of the time it was just because I was so caught up in my own head. I, I didn't even come to terms with like my anxiety. I didn't even say that I had an anxiety at the time um, just because mental health isn't talked about. And I'm, I'm side note, side note, right? Like I feel like a lot of times in my family in particular, right? I always felt like I had to be the happy one. I always felt like I had to be the one that didn't have any problems. And that was just kind of the persona that I took on just because of how my parents were, just because of how my sister was. Like I, I definitely felt like I had to be the positive one in the family. And so going into open lab, I, I, I honestly felt like a lot of the stories I had to share Almost, it was almost. I almost felt like I was a, like a persona of myself in the show, in a way. Um, and I felt like, and I think it was just because I wasn't in tune with exactly how I was feeling or my mindset, and I was so caught up in this relationship at the time that I couldn't really think of 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 myself or think of of that outside of that experience. And so, going in, I definitely, you know, I've you know, I shared stories about my dad, which he came to see, and that was definitely really challenging to have him see something and he got I think he definitely got mad at me after watching that sh after watching the show but in particular the the luggage story that Daisy you're 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 talking about um it was funny I think I was actually coming back so at the time I think flights were very expensive like my my parents are both not wealthy at all like um, I got my tuition, I actually got my tuition paid for by the state. So I, I got fully, fully covered for, from in-state tuition. Very thankful for that. But a lot of my trips from Northern California to Southern California were through the Megabus, which I will never do again, thankfully, but just a Megabus, like a, an eight hour drive from Southern California to Northern California. I'm pretty, I don't know if it was this trip, but I've definitely taken Megabuses to see my, my ex at the time who, who went to Riverside, UC Riverside. And I don't know if this was one of the trips on the way back, but uh, someone who, you know, who was on the street, who was homeless, actually stopped me. And it was maybe 4 a.m. in the morning. And he was like, hey, you know, like, where are you from? And I was just like, well, you, you know, I just I just came off a bus from from L.A. And then, and then he would stop me and he was like, no, no, no. Where are you really from? And then I. I, I was like, I had to backtrack again. I was just like, oh, wait, I'm from Orange County. Is that what you mean by where are you really from? Because that's kind of the premise of what my identity was, right? Like I, I had this sense of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm an American. At least that's how I felt. And I never really actually questioned my identity too much until I came to Cal, which is really interesting and weird, just because like in S Southern California, and now that I know, because I grew up in Orange County, it was also very, very conservative. And maybe people weren't saying it outright to you. But I think there, there were a lot of judgmental people. And I was just lucky enough that my high school was a lot of uh, was predominantly Asian. And um, even just the surrounding neighborhoods that, that I was in was predominantly Asian. But it wasn't until I went to Cal. And it wasn't until you know, I was part of this open lab process and I was also, I also did vagina monologues in 2016. And so just being a part of these different communities and I actually learned like, like before, I guess I was just very ignorant and very blissfully unaware of what was going around, going around around me. Right. And going to Cal, I think there was this 
And maybe I need to, I need to ask you a little bit more about Daisy about your experience going from the South to to Berkeley, right? Because I feel like there's this stigma, especially with my more conservative friends, that I didn't realize at the time back in high school. But they're like, "Oh, you're going to Berkeley? Like that place is a really liberal place." Like, blah, blah, blah. and they were like feeling like, "Oh yeah, this negative connotation to going to Berkeley." And for me, I was just like, "Oh, you know, it's a top university. I'm going to go." And what I realized by being part of this open lab process and being part of of Cal and being a part of of um, vagina models and all these communities is that you know, like we're not liberal for like no reason, right? Like these are honestly honest issues that people are experiencing. And these are, and in order to just be like a compassionate human being, like you would be, you would be ridiculous not to, to be compassionate and listen and actually engage in these conversations and be quote unquote liberal, right? Like that's what I learned a lot by going to Cal and being part of the open lab. Wow. I, yeah, I never knew that actually. I never knew that. Um, because I think, I think, and I'm sure I I don't honestly speak for everyone who was a part of that process, but it changed my life. Like I'm being so honest and so serious. It really made me a better person. And it's interesting that you bring up because I think people don't realize that California has a lot of conservative spots. Um, And I've learned that from just talking to people who are from California, because all you think about is San Francisco and LA. But in reality, there are a lot of conservative parts of California, Uh, because Orange County is in SoCal, right? It's a little bit close to LA, right? How far away from LA? Yes. So it's a little more south, southeast of LA. Um, So it's funny, because like when I say like, a lot of times people don't know what, what Orange County is, like if you're not from California, um, and so I'll usually just say I'm from LA, but really like LA is one LA is huge, as you know, probably know Daisy. And second of all, like Orange County is definitely a little more conservative, like way more conservative. Like even if you see on the map, like the voting maps of 2012 and 20, 2008, it's super red. Um, and so that, you know, at the time, like even even my high school was pretty pro- progressive. Like I would actually consider my my high school to be pretty progressive, but you definitely had people who weren't as weren't as progressive, and you definitely had people who were more closed minded that I didn't notice at the time until I actually came to Cal. So in a way, like I, it's funny because whenever I go back, I always feel a lot more self conscious being in my own skin. Whereas like back in the day, I always felt like, oh yeah, this is just like where I grew up. This is, this is my home. But after coming to Cal, living in San Francisco, it's just like, I felt, I feel so much more comfortable just being myself and just, just existing, right? Like without having to worry like, oh, like what are, what are they going to, what are they going to think of me? And like a few, several months ago, I decided to spend some time in Orange County and one of the things that happened, like I was getting breakfast burritos with my my sister in Los Alamitos. Los Alamitos in particular is very, very predominantly white. And there's this uh, breakfast burrito spot that we went to that I got re- recommended to by like a coworker. And we were standing in line um, and this white dude just cut us like without without saying a single word, right? And it wasn't just, and in the moment it was just like, should, should we have said something? Like, is it? you know and so it's always like in a way like I'm always second guessing like what I'm doing like is it just me am I just in my own head or is it actually like these like microaggressions that are happening that I'm just not aware of yeah absolutely um I don't think people realize that I mean Alabama is conservative but it's interesting that you're from California and you experienced this um racism 
in, in today's world, we need way more compassion. For example, what happened with one of my friends, right? So one of my friends went back to New York and he actually had one of his friends say something that was pretty demeaning and to another a woman, a mutual friend of theirs. And initially the friend was super defensive about like why he chose to speak a certain thing. But my, my friend in particular was very like persistent and calm about speaking with them and speaking with him. And eventually he changed his mind and his friend was like, yeah, you know, you know, you're totally right. Like I didn't, I didn't realize like what I was saying was so hurtful. And I think especially on social media, especially online, there's just a lot of shouting at each other and not enough of listening and not enough of like actual compassion. Yeah, absolutely. And girl, we almost close. I'm not saying we're close to our 30s, but we're in our mid 20s. Doesn't that feel strange? It does. I feel like I'm in like this age where like half of us don't have our shit together and half of us are like married with kids. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, exactly. Right now, It's weird because like, I have my shit together kind of, but like I can't even fathom having kids in the next five years. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like I literally can't fathom me doing that. Yeah. I can't either. I, I can't. Yeah. I, I, I totally feel you. And it, and it's weird because like even though I am in this place where I'm, I feel so lucky, right? I have a stable job that has lasted me even through COVID, right? I've, I've been – I'm very comfortable. I never thought I'd be making – this much money so early on in my career. And I, I honestly say that's like a huge blessing and a, a huge testament to how even though my parents weren't college graduates, they at least ingrained in me for, for me to be successful and for me to graduate college and, and, and have a stable career. But even, you know, decide, like besides all that, I'm still trying to figure shit out, right? Like I'm still trying to figure out, is this where, where I want to be? Do I do I want to start? Do I want something bigger? Do I want to make a bigger change? What What do I want my lasting impact to be? And so that's actually kind of part of the reason why I stepped away from acting. Um, and 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 again, I love acting, and that's something that I I, I feel like, and I I hope that I'll continue to go back to. But it's always like, what what else can I do? What are what are my limits? What can I what can I do to challenge myself? in a way, because that's, that's like part of, but part of my anxiety, part of my fear is that time is just flying by so quickly. And I, I want to make the most out of the life that I have. And what is the best impact that I can, I can have in, in the time that I, that I have here. That is so beautiful. Like, uh, and it's, I, I, I admire you so much as a person, Elisa. I really, really do. Um, and it's, interesting that you and I hope if you don't mind me bringing this up but um so I think there's a stereotype around Asian people that all of our parents are professors and lawyers and doctors and blah 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 blah. yes and I love how you're able to say that your parents aren't college graduates I think that's so beautiful and that's something that people don't realize that not all of us have PhDs all right like I don't know how else to say this but um I don't I hope you don't mind me bringing up your parents and we can cut this out of the podcast if you don't want it in here but what do your parents do if you don't want me asking so when my parents came here they were basically my my dad came he he actually worked at Xerox and he for for a long time he was I think an inventory control analyst and so what that meant was that he was keeping track of like shipments and stock so how many parts were there how many parts were being sold and 
he actually lost his job in the last in the last uh, recession that we had, and my mom actually lost her job at the same time. She was working as like a medical biller, so she it, it's been great because she actually has been work. She she had the ability to work from home ever since we were really young when she started this job, and but you know she's basically looking at medical records and 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 keeping track, but. It's. I think it's part of like the, the the immigrant mentality for her. It was just. It's been a job, and she, she even got offered to get promoted, but she didn't want to take on the promotion. She's been. The, both of my parents were in the same job for twenty, thirty years, even though they won't. They weren't paying very well. Um, and when my dad lost his job, in, and and that's part of the reason why I got free tuition at Cal. My dad lost his job, and I was on free lunch, free and reduced lunch. Uh, I got all my AP fees reduced, which is really great because AP, AP tests are like $75. So it's my, my senior year. Um, it was, it was actually really challenging because my, my dad was, my, my dad actually had cancer at the time as well. And it was, it, it was an interesting period of time for me. Um, but I, again, I have to, however many years later, this is, this, this has been since like he lost his job and, Thankfully, he recovered from cancer. Uh, I feel just very grateful for where I am right now and very, very blessed. And that's why I feel so like, I don't know, I feel like I almost I, I owe it to them to like see what else I can do to to, to really, really like help them out and make them proud. <sighs> now I'm so, so glad I have you on my podcast because I truly, truly think that people need to start hearing stories like this and start realizing that uh, like stereotypes are there for a reason and they need to be dismantled. Mm -hmm. And I think the story of your parents is literally the American dream. And it's so sad that because that we look Chinese, that no matter how beautiful our stories are, we still won't belong and i am hopeful that that will change and that will not be a thing 20 years later but right now in 2020 especially with the election going happening within a few months you really see the racist underbelly of the us and that's what i've always said even from when trump first got elected there is a racist underbelly of the us and it's everywhere it's in California, it's in Alabama, it's in the Midwest. There's just sadly a lot of racist people here. And it's quite honestly disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but like I want to come come at it with a place from love and compassion, right? Yeah. Like like at the end of the day, being Asian, I'm so proud of it because there is a lot of honor and dignity involved that I think people that aren't Asian don't realize Mm -hmm. there's a sense of family and community. And it's, even though we are American, we are Chinese American. You identify with Chinese American, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are Chinese American. And do you have a um, middle name? I'm just curious. Yes. My middle name is Leanne. Oh, Elisa Leanne. So, oh, that's really pretty. It's funny because I think a lot of Asians don't, I don't have a middle name. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And it's funny because, um, on my on you know how a Berkeley email you can like choose your email name mm-hmm. in Auburn you just can't oh whoa yeah so mine is dzd0017 it's so weird oh whoa I know and the reason why I have the z is because um I don't have a middle name 
So they just put Z if you don't have a middle name. Isn't that kind of weird? It is really weird. Do you, for for you? Because like my middle name is actually like a transliteration of my Chinese name. So did you? Do you? Is your first name a transliteration of? Yeah. Oh my god. Transliteration. That is such a beautiful phrase that I never even knew was a thing. But that's exactly what mine is because my name is Daisy, right? Like the flower. But my Chinese name is Daishi. Uh, yeah. So like Daishi sounds like Daisy. Okay. So what's your transliteration? Mine is so in Cantonese, my my name is Lian, so it's like Leanne. Oh, in Mandarin, it's Li Xing, which is a little distant. <laughs> yeah, 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 Li Xing. Okay. Oh, so then Elisa, I guess, is just your English name, and then your middle name is your transliteration. Yep. Oh, I'm I'm learning things every day. I love the word transliteration because I think literally. Every Asian American has a transliteration. Yes. Yeah. It literally, like, it's kind of funny. This is um, my brother, actually. So his name is um, Dai Lun. And so he was born in China. So actually, his birth certificate says Lun Dai, you know? And so mine is, I was born in America. So mine's Daisy. And it's really funny. It's like, it kind of like fucked him over a little bit. Oh, yo. Well, because he goes by Darren. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, obviously this isn't going to go in the podcast, but I remember in high school he got picked on because people like said Lundy because like Lundi and stuff. And it's just hard because it's different like coming from a first generation immigrant family because like when he goes to get his license changed, like obviously we're all American citizens now, but like I think he has to like prove that my mom and dad were married. And like I kind of just don't have to deal with any of that because I was the only one in my family that was born in the US actually. Like how crazy is that, you know? It is. I feel you because like even my dad, like he – his birthday got messed up. I mean just immigration stories, right? Like his, his name – his birthday got messed up. His birthday is actually October 8th, but for some reason they couldn't read his writing super well. And so his – birthday ended up being October 10th and that's just his official birth date in the United States and we celebrated on October 10th and that's happened to my cousins too who were born in Vietnam and then they came they came here because for the U.S. they, they switch the month and the day as well and so now like their months and their days are switched. Yeah because you also come, a fir- come from a first generation immigrant family. Yes yeah. So um, your ethnicity so you're Cantonese yeah, it's weird. We're, we're, I think we're Fukan, we're Fukanese, and so my parents are Fukanese, but they were born and raised in Vietnam, and so they they lived there during the Vietnam War. They they escaped during the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. I think Chinese people, just anyone that looks of Asian descent, is getting a lot of heat right now in the U.S. because of the high tension between China and the U.S. And it's just it baffles me because. We, a lot of us, literally have the American dream story. You know, our parents came from nothing and they were poor and that your parents escaped from the Vietnam War and we're here. And I'm guessing you have your citizenship now. And I'm, Were you born here, actually? Or Yeah, both, both my, my sister and I were, were born here. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because like, yeah. It's the reason why I kind of bring it up is because I am so Americanized. I am ignorant. I don't know anything about China. <laughs> like, well, okay, I don't want I backtrack. It's not like I don't know anything about China. And like, but literally, I had to Google uh, where Beijing was, like on the map. You know what I mean? I thought it was like a little bit closer to Russia, but it's obviously not. Like, it's stuff like that. I'm curious too because I know you were you're we were born and raised in Alabama. Is that is that correct? So for me, I was born and born and raised in. California and I feel like that was a different environment from 
from what you had to go through. Because in California, there are, there's a huge Asian population. And so even though like I didn't really identify, I, it was still like a, a hard hard thing to reconcile both my Chinese identity and also my American identity. I, I felt a little, at least a little more at home. And so I can't, I can't really imagine what it was like to grow up in the South where you're the only Asian person. Yeah, absolutely. Because growing up in Alabama, definitely being the only, like one of like very few Asian people was just so different going around a bunch of white people. Like this is going to sound, I don't feel this way anymore, but I remember talking in therapy about how like, I wish my hair was blonde. And she, I was like, she's like, okay, that's cool. But I was like, yeah, because I want to look more white. And it's like sort of that mentality of like wanting to fit in so badly. It's just like, I am Southern. I say y'all, you can hear it actually in my accent a lot. It's funny when I bring it up, when I brought it up at Berkeley, they're like, oh, we can hear it. But it's be- because of what I look like, I still feel like this dichotomy of like, I remember an open lad, we had to say, I feel like a lot of times in class, I'm speaking for a whole nation that I don't even identify with in a weird way because they'll ask me questions about China. And I'm just like, bitch, I grew up with the same education you did. We learned nothing in in uh, primary school about other nations. Even even in like California, like there there's still that 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 sense of like not feeling like you really belong in and I, I'm sure it's not as bad as how it was in, in the South, but there, there, you know, there was this, there was this time where even in in acting school. So I did a semester. Now that we're talking about school, I did a semester at ACT. So we had a San Francisco semester, and one of the one of my fellow acting friends, the people in my cohort, at some point she she turned to me and she's like, you know, you have a little bit of an accent. I'm like wait, you know, I was born and raised here. What kind of accent do you mean? And that was what was going on in my head. And when I was, that was, that's like been a, a deeply seated insecurity of mine. Like, oh, I'm not, I don't sound American enough, even though I was born and raised here. So she was like, yeah, you have a little bit of an Asian accent. And for me, I think it was definitely that, like that face, like sound disconnect where maybe she wasn't used to hearing other Asian people speak. But Asian American people, I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was definitely hard for me to hear because that's something I've been trying to really actively fight against. And I don't know if that's like that internalized racism where it's just like, I have to really enunciate my vowels. I really have to enunciate every word to make sure I don't slur my words so that people don't confuse me for a foreigner or confuse me for someone who doesn't belong here. Because same, again, same, same as you, like going to, going to Taiwan or going to abroad, people try to speak to me in Mandarin and I don't know Mandarin very, very well. And then I come to the United States and I live here and I, I, you know, this is my identity. And then people, you have people saying, oh, you have an accent. And you have people saying like, hey, you know, like you don't really belong here or like, what, what are you doing here? Exactly. And I think that's something that just honestly, um, white people don't have to deal with. And like, we just have to be sort of blunt about this. This is something that Asian people just have to deal with. But I do do some segments on this podcast. and I did tell you about them before we started. Um, So yeah, do you have any sincere shout outs? So for people that don't know, these sincere shout outs are my quote unquote ad breaks. We don't have any advertisers right now. So I always like to ask my guests, is there something, a person, a product, anything that you want to shout out right now? Yep. I want to shout out my Founder Gym community. So if you don't know, Founder Gym is a program that 
helps teach underrepresented founders how to raise money for their company. And that community continues to give back each and every day. Like, I think it's not just like a one and done, one and done, like cohort experience. Like you have that network and you have that community been really incredible and super supportive. Wow. That is incredibly impressive. Um, To wrap it up, what are your media obsessions lately? I know you mentioned podcasts. Yes. Thank you for thank you for uh, asking, Daisy. So the podcast I was talking about was the How I Built This podcast by Guy Raz. It's an NPR podcast, and it really goes through like the founder different founders' journeys. So I think we had like Sp- like Sarah Sarah Blakely from Spanx. We had uh, the founder of um, Stitch Fix. Katrina Lake, we had like a bunch of these like women entrepreneurs, you have other entrepreneurs that are in different spaces too. We have even, even had the founders of Sweet Greens and it's it's a great podcast I've been listening to while I've been running and yeah, that's my that's my shout out. Um, how do you spell that? So how I built this, it's... Um, yeah. Oh, how I built this. That's pretty easy. <laughs> How I built this, and yeah, and then the 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 host is Guy Raz, so it's G U Y R A Z, G U Y R A Z. Yes. How I built this. Okay, because I'm genuinely gonna listen to that because I do love Sweet Greens. I love all those companies. Like, sweet, I'm I miss Sweet Greens. There's no Sweet Greens in the South, but yeah. Um, I know, I know, I know. We have to go. We have to go. We have to go. But I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I hope you – did you have fun? I did. Thanks for having me. You have to come back on this podcast. Um, I miss you so much. Miss you too. Like I said before, I have to come at least visit you. Mm -hmm. And like honestly, I think Eli is still there too. I cannot remember who from Open Lab is still in the Bay. But like literally, like I I need to make a trip (laughs) once COVID is over. Um, I would love to just come see you. Hopefully, I can crack. Can I crash on your yes. couch? I'm already just. I'm yeah. just like inviting myself. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, like the Bay Area has such a special place in my heart. Like, yes, I was born and raised in the South, but I like in terms of my forever home. Like, I always say I want to go back to Northern California. Like that. That is truly my forever home. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Let's get out of here. Okay. So as always, my little field daisies. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a daisy day.